Well, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. I'm going to read out our Bible passage for Luke to come and share. We're in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. And then I'm going to invite Luke to come and share with us. The passage is entitled, The Church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Luke, come on up. We'll pray together and hear what you have to share with us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And I just pray now your blessing on Luke. Would, like Barnabas, this be an encouragement to us, your church, this morning? So speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Zoe. We're going to get right uh, into the word today. I'm excited about what we're going to be looking at together this morning. You know, one of the most amazing things when we look at Scripture together and we see what happens right throughout the Bible is how God can take a situation which seemingly seems to be the worst possible situation that there could be and then turn it around for their good and for his glory. We could look at stories, couldn't we, like Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, went for a horrendous ordeal, but God used Joseph's story in order to save a whole nation from famine. We could look at people like Moses, whose life seemingly looked like it was over when he committed murder, only for God to turn his situation around and to use him to bring the whole nation of Israel out of slavery. We could look at stories like the story of David, who committed murder and adultery, and yet God changed and transformed his life and used him in mighty, mighty ways. We could look at people like Job this morning, who in the blink of an eye lost everything, only for God to restore to him that which was lost. We could look at Jesus, who 
when it looked like all hope was lost, when he was beaten and he was led away and he was stripped and he was hung on a tree, it appeared defeat was reigning. And yet three days later, he rose from the dead. God is the God of the turnaround. He can take a situation which appears to be completely and utterly destitute and use it for his glory. And in many respects, the passage that we've opened up together today and we're looking at together today starts off in exactly the same way. You see, back in Acts chapter 8, there was a man called Stephen. And Stephen was a godly man, the Bible tells us, full of the Holy Spirit. And yet Stephen was killed for proclaiming the truths that he lived by. And as a result of Stephen being killed, persecution reigned over the church and the people were scattered right across the lands. But in many respects, what looked like defeat in that moment, God uses for victory because it is precisely as a result of these people being scattered, that we sit here today in this building worshipping Jesus. You see, it's because those believers were scattered that the mission expanded. And what we see together today from our passage as we look at this piece of scripture is that as a result of those believers being scattered, the gospel is preached far and wide. And that's how the church in Antioch came about. Those who were in Jerusalem begin to hear reports of what is going on here in this place called Antioch, which we just heard about, and they send a man called Barnabas to see for himself what is actually happening. You see, a small group of persecuted Christians are scattered, and as a result of their scattering, a great number of people come to know Jesus. And as we think about our journey together today, as we think about what it means to be partnering together in the gospel today, as we, if those of us who are partners here, renew our commitment to walk in this journey of faith together, I want us to focus on what we see in this man Barnabas's journey today and ask ourselves the question, what is the kind of church that God blesses? Because here's the thing, church. I don't want to be a church which is simply numerically large if we are a church that has very little substance. I don't want us to have the biggest youth group in the city if we're not impacting the young people that are part of this church with the gospel. I don't want us to have money in the bank if we're not going to use that money to see this city impacted, people's lives changed, and as a result, the name of Jesus proclaimed. So what is the type of church that God blesses. Four things that I want us to touch on this morning, looking at this passage that we've read together in Acts chapter 11. The first one is simply this. God blesses a church where every member is a minister. What's amazing about this passage that we've heard read to us together today, this planting of the church in Antioch, which is arguably one of the most significant events in the Western world, in Western history, because it marks a turning point of the gospel going out and the gospel being preached to more than simply Jews, but other people as well, is that this movement that we've read about together today did not start with a celebrity preacher. It didn't actually even start with the apostles. This movement that we see happen together in the city of Antioch started with a group of unnamed people. All we know about this particular group is that they were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. 
It's amazing, isn't it? The writer of this book, Luke, he is pretty good when it comes to investigating. In fact, if we were to look at the Gospel of Luke, he writes these words, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now, I'm speculating a little bit here, but I am pretty sure that if Luke had wanted to, he could have found out the names of those people who went to Antioch and planted this particular church. After all, he found out where they were from already. He probably could have done a little bit more digging and found out who exactly they were. But perhaps one of the reasons that he didn't write down their names is because he didn't want this group of people to be put on a pedestal for being the heroes of the story. If we knew more about who they were, maybe we would look at this group of people as some sort of untouchable hero and think to ourselves, but we could never, ever aspire to be like them. We could never do what they do. But the way Luke writes this passage for us is to merely point out that this was a group of people who loved the Lord Jesus and they wanted other people to love Jesus for themselves too. And even a little bit further in the passage that we've heard read together today, when Barnabas and Saul turn up and they begin to teach in this place for a year, the church doesn't depend on Barnabas and Saul in order to function and to grow. So later on, if we were to turn together to the book of Acts chapter 13, we see that Barnabas and Saul are sent out on their first missionary journey. When they're sent out, the church here in Antioch doesn't fall and crumble because Barnabas and Saul are no longer physically present there. Why? Because embedded in this church from the very beginning, embedded in their DNA, is an every member ministry. Right from the start, every person has a part to play. If the growth of the church, if the spreading of the gospel revolves and relies about those who are full-time employed Christian ministers, let me tell you something, church, the growth of the gospel and the spreading of the good news of Jesus will be extremely limited. Ministers and workers in church settings and other missionary environments are important to facilitate the work, but not to do it all. The call is for every person to carefully consider what God might be calling them to do and what their part to play in the story of God is, and then say, God, I am all in. That's when the gospel spreads. That's when the church grows. That's when the city is impacted. So as we think together a little bit today about partnership, today's service is really about recommitting ourselves to walk in this journey of faith together as family here in this place and committing ourselves to God again to say, God, whatever the call is on my life, whatever you want me to do, I am all in. Recognizing that we live in a world that needs Jesus. Peveril needs Jesus. Plymouth needs Jesus. And you and I have a part to play in telling people the good news of Jesus here in this city. But here's the thing. Playing your part in the story of God may not make you famous. As these Christians here that we've read about, we don't even know their names. It may also mean that actually times are pretty tough and pretty hard in doing what God calls us to do. It will come with hardships, but know this. Choosing to play your part in the story of God, regardless of what that part is, has an eternal value. The church 
functions well, when every person, every part of the church realizes that they have a part to play and says, I am all in. Number two, the church that God blesses is a church where the gospel is preached and grace reigns. Antioch was a very interesting place. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It probably had something like 500,000 residents who lived there. And it was a melting pot of all different races, different backgrounds, different nationalities, people from different walks of life. It was also known for its sexual immorality. In many respects, it's amazing that God chose a place like this for the first missionary endeavor. He picked this cosmopolitan but corrupt city in order to see the good news of Jesus begin to spread among other people and to see believers transform a city in Jesus' name. And what is presented to the people of this city is a message of repentance. It wasn't a message which was watered down and made easier to swallow in order for people to not be offended when they heard what was actually being said. This was a place which was confronted with matters of sin and matters of turning back to God. So we read these words. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about a group of people who are walking away from God, suddenly hear the good news of Jesus and decide to turn, have a change of heart and a change of mind, and begin to walk towards God in a different direction. You see, in a morally corrupt society, this group of unknown Christians, unknown believers, did not shy away from preaching the hard truths about sin and repentance. They didn't water down the message to make it easier to accept, but they told people they needed Jesus and told them they needed to repent. Here's the thing. The power that the gospel message carried then is the same power the gospel message carries now. But when we look at what's going on here, many commentators look at what's going on and they think, well, there must have been a bit of a hint of skepticism from the church in Jerusalem at the time. Because they send Barnabas to go and investigate what's going on, so they must have thought, oh, this can't really be right. It's almost like they heard what's going on in Antioch and they think to themselves, this group of unnamed Christians are telling all kinds of people about Jesus, and it seems that they're coming together as one church. We need to go and investigate. So they send Barnabas along in order to hopefully bring a little bit of clarity to the situation and to sort out what is going on, because alarm bells begin to ring. Barnabas needs to go to get the situation under control. But what does he see when he gets there? Well, he arrived, and we see this in verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. When he arrived and he saw the gospel had been preached and that people were turning to Jesus, he was encouraged 
and he encouraged them to keep going and remain true with all of their hearts. Barnabas was a man who lived by grace. No doubt when he arrived at the city of Antioch, what he saw when he saw this bunch of new believers was a whole lot of imperfection among them. Because they were new converts. They'd come from a sexually immoral city where there was all kinds of corruption, but they'd come to know Jesus. And no doubt, these new believers were not going to drop all of their baggage all in one go overnight. This was a church which was made up of different people from different backgrounds. And as a result of that, there was bound to be irritations and conflicts among them as a result. But rather than focusing on the imperfections that were there, when Barnabas gets there, he doesn't focus on the problems, but he focused on the grace of God and seeing how it was transforming people's lives, rather than turning up and imposing a bunch of Jewish rules upon them. Church, if this church, if we are to partner together well in the gospel, it means every single person playing their part, choosing to say, I am all in. It's not about those who are on the stage or those who are in formal positions of leadership, but everyone playing their part. And it means recognizing that maybe those outside our doors might be a little bit different to us. They might not be like us. The gospel that we preach in this place will not change. As long as I am pastor of this church, I will preach a message of repentance, turning to the Lord Jesus because he is the one who provides us hope. But it will mean that at times we have to have the grace to embrace people who are not like us, who are different. We must at times be willing to lay down our own agendas, sometimes our own wants, our own needs and our own desires for the sake of one another. The question is, church, are we willing to do that? Number three, God blesses a church whose motivation is to walk closely to Jesus. You know, I love hearing stories of conversion. I love when people share how their life was once a mess and it was going in the wrong direction. And then they met with Jesus and Jesus transforms their situation. And suddenly everything looks different for them. But here's the thing. A profession of faith is only the start of the story. You see, making a profession of faith is good, but it should lead to a life of perseverance towards holiness and to becoming more like Jesus and going deeper in our relationship with him. Genuine conversion, therefore, is a matter of the heart. And Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement... We see in verse 23, encourage the believers to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Part of partnering together in the gospel means encouraging one another to keep going when life gets difficult. You see, what Barnabas did when he heard what was going on in Antioch is he went there and he encouraged the people to walk closely with Jesus. Biblical encouragement is the shared hope that lifts our eyes from our situation and onto Jesus. Biblical encouragement points to the evidence of God's grace in our lives. And what we see in the New Testament, and in particular what we see in the early church, is that biblical encouragement, what we're talking about here, is a central pillar 
to their daily journey. So here's some examples. Acts chapter 13 and verse 15 says, After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Acts chapter 16, verse 40 says, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then they departed. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. You see, it's encouraging one another that helps us to avoid an unbelieving heart. It's an encouraging one another that keeps our eyes on Jesus and combats the deceitfulness of sin. It's encouraging one another which helps us to fully partake in all that Jesus has for us. And we, as believers, are called to encourage one another daily. It's one of the reasons that we have set up these inspire groups here at the church, setting these up because we believe that actually walking this journey together in small groups is so vitally important. If we're going to walk closely with the Lord, we must walk closely with one another. And we want to see as many people involved in these groups as possible, having spiritual friendships who they can walk closely with and share life with on an intimate level. And if you haven't signed up for these yet, I want to encourage you, it is not too late to do that. The church that God blesses is a church where everyone is a minister, where the gospel is preached and grace reigns, where the church is motivated to walk closely with the Lord. And number four, and finally, the church that God blesses is a church which is devoted to generous living. Verses 27 to 30 says this, during the time some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So some prophets turn up in Antioch, and when they get there, through the spirit they predict a famine which is about to hit and what's the church's response to spontaneously give to the relief fund for the brothers and sisters in Judea God blesses a church where its members quietly spontaneously and without pressure give towards the Lord's work the famine which was predicted could have engulfed Antioch too And the attitude of the people there could have been, well, you know what, guys? We don't really have a lot. We haven't got that much money in the bank right now. We need to make sure we're looking after ourselves, looking after our own, not being silly with our money and making sure that we are okay. But that's not what they did. When they heard about this famine, which could have taken over the land, they trusted God to meet their needs and to meet the needs of others. And the fact of the matter is, God blesses us to be a blessing. God blesses us to give us the opportunity to fully partake in his story and doing that by being generous with what we have. 
And you know, one of the really good examples of that here at the church in Hope, and one thing which has really warmed my heart in recent weeks, is a few weeks ago, Mark stood up here and he told us about Spree, about a camp that is going to be taking place in the summer. We're hoping to send some of our young people on. And as Mark got down, I made an off-the-cuff remark and said, if anyone wants to sponsor a young person to go to this camp, then come and speak to us, and we would love to bless some people who may not be able to afford to go. Do you know what? Because of the generosity of this church, there is a high chance that we're going to be able to take all of our young people for free, or at least for a very, very heavily discounted rate. How good is that? The church hear a need, and they respond to that need, and as a result, our children and young people are going to be blessed to go off to this camp in the summer and hear about Jesus. That warms my heart. That's a generous church responding to a need. And you know, our generosity opens the doors for others to engage with Jesus. If we believe, if we truly believe that God provides for our, uh, all of our needs according to his riches and glory, my challenge is for each and every one of us to give generosity a go. You know, in scripture, the only place that God says, test me, is around generosity. He, we read these words in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. My challenge for each and every one of us is to do exactly that. Be generous with the resources that God has given you and see what he does as a result. For some, that might mean start regularly giving towards the work here at the church or increasing your giving. For others, that might mean being a blessing to someone that you know who is in need right now. I don't know what it might be for you, but generosity sees the kingdom of God built here on earth as it is in heaven. The church here in Antioch are an example to us. It was founded by simple believers who knew that God had called every Christian to serve him. It was a church who proclaimed the gospel and lived by grace and encouraged one another to keep going. And it was a church who were generous with what they had. And as a result, God blessed them. This is the kind of church that I want us to be here at Hope Baptist Church. Are we there yet? No. But are we on a journey towards that? Yes, and that's what Partnership Sunday is all about. It's a chance for us who are currently church partners to once again say, I am all in. I'm committing myself to being part of this vision and part of a church that wants to be like that, and I want to be part of the journey. I'm committing myself to playing my part. I'm committing myself to hearing the gospel preached and to doing what I'm called to do and then taking that out from this place. I'm committing myself to being encouraging towards one another and being generous with what God has given me. I don't know about you, but that's the sort of church that I want to be part of. And my challenge for you today here, if you are not currently a partner of Hope Baptist Church, but you consider Hope Baptist Church to be your church, why are you not a partner? If you consider this group of people, the group of people you want to walk this journey with, what is stopping you becoming a partner? We want you to be part of this church and we want you to be committed with us to walk in this journey. 
being a partner at its core simply means saying that I am choosing to walk my journey of faith with this group of people. I'm willing to play my part and use what God has given me for the evangelization of this city, of this nation, and of this world. Our heart here at Hope is to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My question, my challenge to you this morning, church, is are you all in? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for what we see in Scripture. We thank you that you didn't build your church with superstars, but you built your church with simple believers who loved the Lord and wanted others to love him too. My prayer this morning is come Holy Spirit. We pray that as a church, we will aspire to be like this church in Antioch, a church which played their part, encouraged one another, preached the gospel and gave generously. Lords, we're not there yet. Like the church in Antioch, we have many imperfections and we have many things where actually at times it, all, it sometimes feels a little bit tense. But we pray that this will be a place where grace reigns, that we love one another and we commit ourselves to walking together. In Jesus' name, amen.